The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Martin Luther King, and, and as we talk about our leadership lessons, we started last week in, in chapter 20, and we're going to finish up chapter 20 today, but as we talked about our leadership lessons, um, our nation has seen some many great leaders, and the interesting thing about a great leader is they're a great follower, and we stop as a nation and honor a man who was a great leader that led our nation into a new chapter of humanity, a new chapter of rights. Um, that dream has not yet been realized, though. We're still working on it. Um, we also know that that freedom only comes uh, when we're free in Christ, when grace breaks the chains and we can walk as free people, um, as God's children, um, regardless of race, but we walk as free children of God into the freedom that He paid for with His blood. And, and the interesting thing about a dream is that dream has to come from somewhere. That dream has to come from God's vision. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we really lock in with God's vision for us as a church so that we realize uh, what our calling truly is. Um, God has given us keys to the kingdom, and he's called us to go set captives free. And so let's continue that dream. Let's continue God's vision. And as a church, there are thousands of people around us, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around us in the Bible Belt that are stuck in bondage and have chains on their soul, chains on their life, addictions. They're in, they're in just hopeless situations. And God has called us as a church to go reach them. Um, and so we have a responsibility. We carry that mantle. We carry that vision that God gives us. We may not walk in front of, of millions of people and change the tide of a country, but we're called to change the tide of eternity. And so we may only walk in front of one, but God has called us to lead. He's called us to follow. He's called all of us to submit our lives to Christ, to follow him, to be a committed follower, a disciple of Jesus and then he has called us to lead. I, I hear people say, well, <clears throat> pastor, I'm, I'm not called to lead. Uh, I'm just called to follow. Uh, let me help you with something. Jesus called his disciples to follow him so they would be fishers of men. They would lead men to Christ. We all are, follow, are called to be followers. We're all called to be leaders and to lead the captives to Christ, who has bought their freedom with his blood so that he can set the captives free. That's our calling. That's our charge. And, and we complicate a lot of things with peripheral issues, but you want to narrow it down? Our basic function is to follow Jesus with everything we've got and to help others get to him. And we spend a lot of time trying to create these patterns and programs and, and to-do lists and checklists and of these five easy points. The, the bottom line is we are called to draw into the heart of God and to be a committed follower of Jesus, to look like him, to follow him so closely that people associate us with him instead of anything else. And then we lead other people to him. And we're all called to be leaders. So I want to talk about leadership expectations. We're going to finish this up. Uh, I told you last week that we're only as healthy as what we follow. The sheep are only as healthy as the shepherd. And, and God has really been challenging me and dealing with me on a lot of, lot of areas in my life that he says, you know what, for, for you to do, and I'm just going to give a moment of confession here, Matt, for you to do what I'm calling you to do, I need you to step it up. 
God has already done it. Here, what, I, what I pray is, God, will you help me do this? Can you? He says, I've already done it. My work, it's finished, Matt. I'm waiting on you. And, and so I believe God's also saying for us as a church, the work is finished. I'm calling you to step into it and do what I've called you to do. So let's do it. Let's go. I'm excited about this. We're going to shorten today's message so, so you can engage in community. That is a value here at the Creek, um, and it is one of our core values because we believe that community doesn't just happen in this room. You get a surface-level community in this room. But when you lock in with a group, and, and we make the groups fun, and there's great topics, there's different things for different people, but the whole purpose, so you understand, the whole vision is to grow and nurture deep community in the church. Why do we do that? So we're strong and we're healthy to step up and do what God's called us to do. I mean, that's the, that, that's the philosophy, if you want a philosophy behind our value. Um, and so let's look at this. Acts chapter 20. If you've got your Bible, let's go there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. Um, if you have your smart device, you can go to Uversion, Y-O-U version, and it's on there. You can go to the live tab, and our notes are actually in there. So while you're getting there, I want to give a shout out to all of our podcasters, because uh, I talked to a couple of people this week that only interact with the creek and hear from the creek via podcast. So they're going to be listening to this. What's up, guys? They're all over the country. They might be all over the world. We've had a podcast hit over in the UK. Who knew? That's a jolly good thing there. I think I'll have me some kidney pie later. That's more Australian. So find us an Australian. Go. Um, Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul is having a meeting with the Ephesian elders, and uh, he was in, he's in Miletus. They're actually selling. Paul's trying to get back to Jerusalem. He was hoping to be back for Passover. Now he's hoping to be back for the, the uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, which means 50. Uh, happens about seven weeks after Passover, and he's hoping to be back for that festival. He's delivering a gift collected for the church in Jerusalem. They're going through some hard things. There's a lot of oppression. They're struggling. And so Paul has collected an offering. He's trying to get it to the church in Jerusalem. And he's got a purpose. He's got a mission. He's got a goal. And he uh, stops off in Miletus. He decides not to stay in Asia or go back to Asia or to the town of Ephesus. But when he gets to Miletus, he says, send for the Ephesian elders. I want to speak with them. I want to meet with them. And Paul knew that this would be the last time he would see them face to face. So they have this meeting. Last week, we looked at the first part of that meeting. Today, we're going to pick up in verse 25. But, but while, before we get into that, I want you to understand that some of the roles that we look, Paul has some leadership roles in the church, not just the church at Ephesus, but the church. Let me help you. You're a part of the creek, and I love that you're a part of the creek. I love being your pastor. But there, we are all a part of the church, capital C. So if you're talking about the Creek Church, you would say little c, capital C church. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. The head is Christ. We have a perfect head, and, and we have a body that, that needs some work. And the beautiful thing is, with a perfect head, he sends the right message every time. And Paul has, a, has an involvement and a responsibility in the church, I have a responsibility in the church. There are decisions that I have to make that, that may seem, okay, this might not be good for our, our community, but this is good for the body. And, and that's a challenge that we all carry. You have a responsibility in the church. 
My prayer is that you step up as leaders and you carry on a responsibility in this church. So many of you give, you serve, you're engaged, you're locking in with community, you're leading others, you're following, you're growing, and that's a responsibility you carry in this church. We all carry this. So Paul is dealing with his responsibilities, and we're looking at some of the, the characteristics of how he carried those responsibilities. And we're going to pick up again today. The first one is Paul was a watchman for the church. Um, let me help you with what a, a watchman means. Um, I'm going to go to the book of Ezekiel, back in the Old Testament. Um, probably if you're using one of our Bibles on the ends of the rows, or uh, if you... Um, haven't read much of the Old Testament, then you are probably in the time where your pages are stuck together. And I'll train you if you want to go there. In the front of every Bible, let's do a little training session. There's this table of contents. And so if you want to find Ezekiel, it's on page 875 in the Holy Bible. I don't know what it is in your Bible. But... uh, um, Actually, I'm going to confess, I had to just look up where Ezekiel was. I was running through the song, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and I, I, I couldn't, I was getting sidetracked. I couldn't make it to Ezekiel fast enough. But I'm going to be in Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33 for just a second, and then we're going to get into Acts 20. Um, so Ezekiel 3, Paul was a watchman for the church. Um, let's understand what the role of a watchman is, uh, and I'm going to read to you verse 16 through 21. Uh, this is... Uh, Uh, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning for me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak outside to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. A part of a role of a, as a watchman, a shepherd, you think of a watchman, someone who sits on the wall of a city and they're watching for the enemy. And, and what God's saying is, Ezekiel, I've, I've set you as a watchman over my people. And if I tell you that this man has has iniquity before me in his heart and you do not tell him, you do not warn him of that that sin, that life that is separating us, when he dies for his sin, I'm holding you accountable. Talk about leadership. Any of us post anything on Facebook with the creek and it comes back to me, I'm accountable for that. But then he says the flip side, If you warn him and he dies for his sin, then you will have saved your life. So a watchman for the church, what does that mean? There's a couple of things we're going to look at with this, but but the first one is uh, Paul was willing to preach the entirety of truth. Here's the truth. Let, let, Let me read to you what Paul said to the Ephesian elders, verse 25. Now I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul knew the role of a watchman. He knew he had a responsibility as a watchman in the church. He knew what he was called to do. And so what he's telling these elders is like, you guys have seen how I live their life. I've been consistent 
whether I'm in the house, whether in the synagogue, no matter where I've been, the, the message has been the same, and I've preached the whole gospel. And so therefore, I am innocent of the blood. Now, that role as a watchman, Paul means, I've told him everything. When there's been conviction that needs to be convicted, I've done it. I have not shied away. Now, there's an implication that Paul has. He said, I've taught them the whole will of God, the entirety of truth, and so I'm innocent of his blood. The implication on that is if he doesn't teach them the whole truth, he carries that responsibility. Now, Jesus bore our sins and paid for that through his blood, but when we're set as a watchman, there's an accountability that happens. Parents, you have an accountability for your kids. You are accountable to teach them the whole truth. I have a little girl that is now on the road driving in a car by herself. I have another little girl that is in Toronto, Canada on her own going to college. There are things that I have had to teach them because ignorance is not an excuse. Abby can't ignore certain laws and speed limits when she gets pulled over, I just didn't know that number meant that was the speed you're supposed to go. My dad never taught me that. Well, she's going to get the ticket, but here's the thing. I'm accountable for it because my name's on that car. My name's on the insurance policy, and I'll be the one that has to show up in court with her. I don't have to worry about that. She's, she's like Miss Daisy. She drives like five under, so I love that. I've, Heather has taught her well in that. <laughs> What does this mean for the church? Um, I, I told you it took me a while to get over uh, the truth that, that some people may not like me. And when I stand before God, I would rather say, God, I spoke and taught the entirety of your word than tickling people's ears to try to get them to like me and create this big group of people that really had a mix of truth among them. I would rather stand before God and say, God, I taught everything. Cover to cover. I taught them who Jesus is. I taught them how to have forgiveness of sin, how to follow you. And God, I tried with everything within me and the power of Holy Spirit working in me to be an example so that when I say follow me, they see you and not me. I would much rather stand before God in my judgment and say that and say, well, but I had a lot of people that liked me. You see, when we kind of, we like to pull some truth out because truth can hurt a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean we go around just with the, the, the Bible as the sword of truth and just slashing people. That's wrong. <laughs> some of us have been cut that way. Some of you have been cut that way and maybe you finally decided to give church another try and you're at the creek. L- let me help you. There, there, Paul had a relationship with the people he could speak into. So when he could say, hey, there's something here that that I want to help you through. He was teaching them the entirety of truth. We don't, that's why I like verse by verse teaching. It keeps me accountable to go through the entirety of it. So if it's difficult, we're going to wrestle with it. If it's fun, we're going to have fun with it. And that's just the way we're going to do it. That's what I made a commitment before God because that way I don't get to teach you the verses that I like, the coffee cup verses, so we all leave smiling and happy. Some days you're going to leave and the Holy Spirit's going to be working on you 
And you're going to spend the rest of the afternoon trying to figure out what's going on. And then you're going to pray about it. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, there's some things that we need to change. And the work is completed. I just need you to live it. I just need you to step up. So Paul was willing to to preach the entirety of truth. There's another role as a watchman, um, Ezekiel 33. And it's actually on the screen for you. So I just... Uh, realize that. I'm looking around trying to find it in my Bible and helping you find yours, and I put it on the screen for you. But Ezekiel 33, there's another role of the watchman. I'm going to read to you verse 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, When I bring the sword against a land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people... Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning and the sword comes and takes his life, his blood will be on his own head. Scenario. The watchman blows the trumpet. We're under attack. We're under attack. He's blowing the trumpet. If somebody hears the trumpet and go, I don't think it's that big of a deal. In the springtime, we wrestle with this in Texas. The tornado sirens are going off. Ah, but I still want to go outside we start to lose it. So you blow the horn, that dude dies, his blood is on his own head. Let's go on. Um, Since he heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would have saved himself. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Paul was a protector of the church. We are called as leaders to be protectors. Let's look at this in verse 28. I know I'm jumping back and forth, and I don't do that a lot, but I wanted you, and I don't have to go anywhere else, but I wanted you to understand that role of a watchman because here's the reality. God has called you, me, us, to be watchmen. The role is here. If If you're in a relationship, if you are married, if you have kids, as a pastor, I'm called to be a watchman. You are to be a watchman over your families and those that you lead. Uh, Here's Paul in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul was a watchman for the church. He's given a word here to the leaders of the church. He says, you know, you need to take care of yourselves. You need to be watching out for yourselves. Um, I pastor you. I also am pastored. And, and there are, I have shepherds around me. I have elders. I have, uh, some of you met him via video, Dustin Bowles from Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Dustin pastors me. And let me help you with something. Pastors is not just a podcast. The people who podcast us that can't come and be connected with the creek in other cities, they still have a call to go be involved and engaged in a local community so they can be pastored. You cannot be pastored via podcast. 
You have to have, and you cannot be pastored via books. You cannot be pastored via TV. I'm just going to go down that road. To be pastored means you are giving someone the right to be, to say, follow me. As I follow Christ, you follow me. But then it goes the other way. They have to be willing to speak into your life. And that just doesn't happen through a shotgun blast of a podcast. That happens over a group. It happens over a meeting, over a dinner table, over coffee, to get in and say, how are you doing? What's going on? And I have men in my life that can call me out. They can, they then they do. They straight up get in and say, we need to deal with this. They watch my back, but they also watch my front. Because I can, I'm, we're just human. We're a mess. We can get in a real mess. So um, there's an interesting verse here. He says, the church of God that Jesus bought with his own blood. Some translations say the flock that Jesus bought with his own blood. So here's, here's a reality. I don't own the creek. God chose me in, in his grace and wonder to say, Matt, you're going to launch a church. And he allowed Heather and I to do that, but he owns it. He bought you with his blood. He bought this church with his blood. I know we're trying to, to, to get our finances in line and get everything ready to make this move. We hope to start construction in a couple weeks. We're wrestling through all these numbers and all this money and dollars and things in the budget that we've got to cut. But the reality is God owns it. He lets us manage it. He lets us play with his stuff. He bought it with his blood. That means I have a responsibility to God before you to lead this church as though Jesus bought it. It is Jesus' church. It's as though he's letting me dance with his wife. If you dance with my wife, I'm going to be watching you, man. (laughs) Hands 10 and 2, no slow dance, no fast dance. You're junior high, man. Room for Jesus? You can turn. But if you turn, I'm doing this. Man, Jesus is not going to let... He's watching us. He's, you can dance with my brother, but I'm watching you. I'm holding you accountable. So you preach the entirety of truth. You, you are to be protectors of the church. Here's the reality. The, the shepherd has no right to abuse the sheep for his benefit, because they belong to someone else. And the shepherd has a twofold job. He's to love sheep and kill wolves. And I, this, gets, this gets a little, little tough and difficult, but I have a responsibility to lead you and to feed you, and I have to protect this flock that Jesus bought with his blood. Sometimes that means having difficult conversations with wolves. I've had to sit down and I've asked, had to ask people to leave the creek. You see, churches don't die because of the wolves. Churches die because the pastor fails to deal with the wolves. Your marriages don't die because of the wolves. They die because the leaders of the relationship fail to deal with the wolves. I will deal with the wolves. Now, I can stand up here and talk, and Heather, Heather loves it. I can talk a big game, but I can be the biggest softy. But God has called me and holds me accountable to protect this church. And, and it, it, wolves are difficult because wolves come in, and man, it's, it's, it's a challenge because um, the wolves, are, they rise up and they distort the truth. Remember, remember Satan in the Garden of Eden? 
Did God really say that? Is that really the truth? Well, here's kind of what I believe about this. Is that really, really the word of God? And then they try to get other people to follow them. Where, where, I mean, you look at Satan. Did God really say he's trying to rise up? I'm going to take God's throne. What did Jesus do? He just straight up handled Satan. There is no power in hell that can stand before him. Jesus holds the keys to Satan's home. He doesn't get to leave his home without the, the, the approval of God. We are to protect those we lead. You are to protect your family. Look, look at the areas where, you need, where wolves can get in. And I constantly have to check fences with our church. I check fences, check fences, mend fences. You've got to be careful. Look at your families. What are the ways the wolves can get in? Because very rarely they come in the front door. What are ways that wolves get into your family? What are ways that wolves get into the relationships that you're called to be leaders in? Step that up. You and I are called to be protectors. Paul was a protector of the church. Paul was a giver to the church. Verse 32 through 35, we'll, we'll go on. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Paul was a giver of the church, to the church. Remember, Paul's on this whole journey back to Jerusalem. He wants to be there by, by Passover, and now he's hoping to be there by the Pentecost so he can deliver this gift to the church. I love that Paul said, I never coveted your gold or silver and your clothes. I've, I've not coveted your clothes, by the way. I've not coveted your gold or silver, you know, those of you who are in the gold and silver exchange now. But I just thought it was interesting because Paul's right. He's saying this to the Ephesian elders. Think of the wardrobe of the day. I mean, we didn't have, you know, Versace and I don't know what, it, I'm, I wear mostly uh, coal stuff, Urban Pipeline. It's the Urban Pipeline chic. But uh, they wore robes, man. It's like, oh, those are the new Nike sandals. Man, I got to go get me a pair. No, Paul was a giver to the church. In verse 32, he says, I, I've given you to God in his grace. As a church, I've got to be the chief giver. On paper, I'm the chief executive officer. In title, I'm the lead pastor. But here's a responsibility that I have to bear for the church. I have to be the lead worshiper. Ryan does an incredible job. And he leads us in the presence of God, but I've got to be the lead worshiper. I've got to be the chief giver. I've got to be the chief steward. I have to lead so people will follow. And the very first day we opened the bank account for this church, Heather and I were the first people that put money into it. Now, I don't give as much as some of you because some of y'all just loaded. <laughs> but it's not, it's not equal gift. It's equal sacrifice. And God calls us to that sacrifice and the reality is this, so many of you give so sacrificially to this church that I, the, the whole staff, owes it to you to work hard. 
and we work hard. We keep our staff lean and mean so we're good stewards of the money that, that you give to God, that God lets us steward so that more money turns into more ministry. That's just the way it happens. But Paul was a giver. He set the example. I have to, as your pastor, set that example. And it's, it, God has to work on your heart. It, don't give begrudgingly because you, want, you don't want to give money to me. You want to give money to God. You give money to me, it's going to mess me up. But when you give money to God, it holds an accountability over my head that makes me accountable to be a good steward of the resources God provides for this ministry. And we will do that. Paul was a chief giver. Let's go on. Let's finish this up. Paul was emotionally connected to the church. When he had said all this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This moment when he's saying goodbyes, and I hate goodbyes. I absolutely hate goodbyes. They embrace. They pray together. There's tears. And they take him to the ship. They could embrace that way because there was such a deep connection that they shared. There was genuine love. And I believe the only way we can be emotionally connected in the healthiest way is for us to have a core spiritual connection. They were committed to the vision that God had called them to do. They were committed to the vision that God had set before the church. They were committed to be followers of Jesus, and they were committed to bring other people to Jesus. That's where the connection came from, and they had an incredible relationship surrounding that, so much so that these elders would make the trip to Miletus to meet with Paul. And when he said, this is the last time you're going to see me again, the emotion that stirred in that moment. I would love to see a lot of Paul's ministry, but I would not want to be involved in that meeting because I can't stand goodbyes. I'm a sympathetic crier, and I'd be over there. I mean, even if I had a time machine, if I get to the DeLorean to go 88 miles an hour, I could go back and see this meeting. I'd still be on the side just bawling because I'd be like, I'm just nervous. But there's an emotional connection. What we pray every Sunday before services start is that we can be emotionally connected, spiritually connected, fully connected to you. Because every week there's some of you that come in that need somebody to rejoice with you. Every week there's some that come in that need us to grieve with you. And we want to be fully connected so we can do that. And that's true in all of our relationships. The only way you can have an emotionally healthy connection in your marriage is to have a deep, growing, nourished spiritual connection. The, the, the emotions are going to be all over the page. And so we pull these qualities for pastors. We see Paul as a leader. Now it's time for us to step up because we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to lead others to him. And that may look different. God's going to show you that ministry. And so the question I have for you is, what example do I set for those following me? God has convicted me with this. As I prayed this in December, when Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, follow me as I follow Christ, What example do I set for others to follow? And maybe the original question needs to go back to who or what am I following? Are we following things that lead to life or following things that lead to death? That can be people, places. It can be bigger than a bread box. It can be smaller than a bread box. It can be an animal, mineral, water, whatever. Remember that game? 
But let me say this before we close. Thank you for how you treat me. I love being your pastor. Thank you for how you treat me. Thank you for how you treat my family. Heather's got a tougher role than I because it's hard to be a pastor's wife. Thank you for not dumping on her. Thank you for how you treat my kids because it's also very hard to be pastor's kids. Thank you for encouraging them, loving them, supporting them. Thank you for the relationship that we enjoy. And I want to finish with this. The goal that Paul always had was to preach Jesus. And so maybe we've talked some leadership principles, but they all mean nothing if we're not connected to Jesus. And Paul always, always, always taught the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He gave himself on a cross, and he walked victoriously out of a tomb so that we could have new life, so that we could follow him in a way that is worthy, that even though we're not worthy, he says, come, follow me. And I'm going to pray for us, and I want to give you that opportunity, if you've never done that, for you to become a committed follower of Christ. And then the next steps will help you with. What are the next steps? Baptism. The next step, walk into that room and get locked into community. There are people that will help you grow into that maturity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the truth of your word, the whole counsel of God, the whole truth of God. And Lord, we commit as followers of you to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that may have been trying to be a good leader, that that it's just not working. God, I pray that you help them get to a spiritual core and a connection. And maybe the first step is that moment of humility to say, Jesus, I can't do this unless I follow you. Would you be the Lord of my life? Lord, the whole thing that you paid for and said it is finished, would you give me the power through your Holy Spirit? Would you transform me into a new creation so I follow you as your son or daughter? And would you help me live the life that you've already paid for, that you bought with your blood? I submit myself to you as my Lord, my Savior, and my leader. Give me the courage to now lead others to you. That in anything I do and everything I do, it's for your glory and to bring others to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.